Hello and welcome back to the Blue Tomorrow podcast and welcome back to Jackson Fuller live from the USA at 6.30 in the morning. Commitment to the cause. We love to see it. And it has been a roller coaster two weeks for Chelsea. An extremely disappointing result followed up with a, a slightly better result and then a fantastic result. I think we'll all agree. Even if the performance wasn't quite there, 4-1 against Tottenham away from home is always going to be a 10 out of 10 result. Uh, Jackson, I'll go straight to you. We can quickly talk about the the Brentford game. I mean, we don't need to talk about it too long because it's slightly depressing, but uh, more of the same with Chelsea struggling to break down a low block, isn't it? Yeah, and yeah, I think I, I just hate Brentford. I, I you know, <laughs> Michael Johnston, friend of the pod. I know you guys jumped on the Ealing Road before that match. Um, or did a crossover pod. You know, he's a great guy. Brentford people are great people. I just hate, I don't like watching them play. And, uh, you know, I don't like, I just, I just don't like their style. Um, you know, they got to do what they got to do. That's fine. I personally don't enjoy it. Thomas Frank seems like a lovely lad. I don't, I don't love the tactics. And uh, look, I think as long as they are going to play like that, and as long as Chelsea aren't going to have like, guaranteed match winners who can go find a goal against a low block, which we haven't had for two years, we're going to struggle against Brentford home and away. So uh, I, that probably, I think that's the fixture on the calendar the rest of the year. Whenever we go to Brentford, I'm looking forward to the least. So it's uh, so the new, the new Burnley away or Bournemouth away actually was probably a, <laughs> a pretty horrendous one in recent years. Uh, Tom, for you, where where did it go wrong? I mean, Jackson mentioned our lack of guaranteed finishes, but we weren't great defensively either. Yeah, I think for me, it was the fact we couldn't score in those hatful of chances we had in the first 20 minutes. I mean, the Madweke one was would have been spectacular if it did go in, but more specifically, the Kukurea one where that has to go in the back of the net for me. I don't care if it's Kukurea on the end of it, if it's Robert Sanchez on the end of it, you've got to put that in the back of the net. And then, yeah, Sterling as well had a couple of good chances where the wrong pass is being made and things like that. So, yeah, in games like that, where we know how Brentford are going to play for the rest of the game. If we can't get that early goal, we seem to just completely lose faith in ourselves we'll make a mistake at the back like we did and then end up losing the game and of course normally it's 1-0 this time 2-0 because we overcommit for a try and get that equaliser and they punish us again so yeah it's just yeah not getting that early goal we lose faith and they punish us the good news from that though is we did bounce back in the FA Cup luckily we had a fairly fairly nice fixture against Blackburn at home Um, but we did get the job done Badia Shield scoring on his comeback from injury great to see and uh, Raheem Sterling getting the other one. I mean, we don't need to talk about that game. We all know why we're here. We're here to talk about the Tottenham game. Uh, because finally, since I think it was Tottenham, the last Big Six team we beat, we have beaten a Big Six team. And we've beaten them emphatically. I don't care if it was against nine men. We beat them 4-1. Uh, it's kind of a game of... It's almost two separate games. It's game minute one to 20, and then minute 20 to 90. They feel like completely separate games. Uh, Jackson... How worried were you when, before the offside flag got raised and Son had put the ball in the back of the net, were you thinking this is going to be 8-9-0? and nine nil? Uh, Yeah, I mean, I was, I was pretty, that, at that moment, I was pretty terrified. Um, we just, I don't know, we didn't, we didn't come out with the right hunger, obviously. I think Potch got some of the tactics wrong as well. Um, it looked like there was an emphasis, especially from the the outside backs, to kind of let the ball get wide um, on you know 
the goal that Son scored, Reese James gave his, uh, you know, gave his man a lot of space to deliver the ball in. I can't remember who provided that pass. And then on the the goal that they scored, Levi Colwell kind of did the same thing. The Kulisewski kind of gave him a lot of room to shoot. Um, so yeah, I was super concerned. Um, I thought I thought we were about to get ran out of the building, uh, given how we've played and how Spurs have played this year. But I think it's important to like, you know. Offsides is a pretty standard rule. You're offsides by a centimeter. You're offsides. I mean, we got the brunt end of that, you know, rule twice in the match uh, later on um, against eleven men, or I guess once against eleven men. And uh, their only goal of the match came off of a pretty horrid deflection from Colwell. So overall, I mean. Yes, the first 20 minutes were super, super concerning. I know I've said this to you guys privately. I thought we we bounced back quite well after that second, after the offsides goal. Um, you know, put the ball back in the net twice. That was disallowed. But golly, they, they've just got to, I think the team has to find a way to start matches better. You know, we haven't really started matches terrifically ever, you know, since, since you know, the struggles have really started. Um, you know, we, we're just not coming out and grabbing that early goal, you know, whether it's against Tottenham or against other teams and we're allowing teams like Brentford to be able to kind of sit in that low, that low block for majority of first half, second half. And that's really, really been damaging for us. Yeah, I agree, especially on the, uh, the bit you're talking about after 20 minutes and before, before that red card, we were the better team. And there's a, it's kind of a narrative around this game that, Tottenham threw it away, which they did. Let's, let's not sugarcoat it. Tottenham did throw it away and hand us the win. But we were growing back into the game from that 20 to 45 minute period. It's really from when a doggy should have been sent off uh, and wasn't sent off. Uh, from that period, we were sort of the better team and we were growing into the game and we were seeing some nice movement uh, going forwards and sort of dominating the midfield as well. Uh, and the narrative has kind of been f- spun that, that Chelsea were just dreadful all game. And I think really we were just dreadful the first 15 minutes and maybe 15 minutes after half time We weren't very good when they were on nine men. Uh, Tom, I'll go to you. Let's talk about some of the VAR decisions. Because in my opinion, VAR have really got away with one here in this game because they were two absolutely, well, one horrendous decision. And uh, Levi, Cole, Levi Colwell and Christian Romero, that incident probably could have been a red card. The Adoggy one for me, that's one of the clearest red cards you'll ever see in your life. It's two-footed, it's dangerous. I have seen people say it, but are we is Raheem Sperling just supposed to have his leg broken for it to be a red card? That's not the rules. Why is the VAR not intervened there? Yeah, I mean that's that is how it seemed in the aftermath that the fact that Raheem Sterling had the wearable to get out of the way is the only reason a doggy stayed on the pitch, which yeah, should not be the the thinking from VAR. He's two footed, he's off the floor. Like even before that was a recent rule, you would be even before VAR was a thing in the Premier League, you'd get red carded for that. Michael Essien got one of those about ten years ago against Fulham when he didn't touch the opponent at all. But you're jumping in two footed, you should be getting red carded for that. I don't care how much of the ball you get. Like that is endangering an opponent, which by definition is a red card in the Premier League. And then the Romero one as well, I think on another day that is a red card because there's been similar instances there's there's no ball there for him to win he has just kicked out I know it wasn't with any force or anything like that but his aim is to just kick and kick in frustration I've no idea if he if he saw that Colwell was there or if anyone was nearby but he just swung a leg so weirdly errantly that yeah that for me should have been a red card as well obviously it came in an incident where we ended up putting the ball in the back of the net by the end of it so maybe that 
maybe the VAR spent less time looking at it than they would have done if it was an isolated incident. So that could have changed it. But I mean, it, we, we could sit here, we could sit here for about an hour and go through every single VAR decision. But yeah, those were the two that were on another day might have been a different decision. Yeah, I just think they've they've really they've got lucky that Tottenham have continued to be idiots and put in stupid challenges. Uh, because if if Chelsea had lost that game, uh, I think all the talking points would be those two tackles or one one horror tackle and one petulant kick out. They call it petulant. Uh, Jackson, let's talk about the penalty. Cole Palmer tucking it away. I think that's his third penalty for us now, is it? Yeah, very, very, well, not very well taken, but it got in the back of the net in the end. Uh, what have you made of Palmer's start at Chelsea? Because I don't think we've talked to you on the pod about Palmer uh, so far. And I know me and Tom have been singing his praises and I'm assuming you might be doing something similar. No, I mean, I think he's clearly the player in the most form right now for Chelsea at the moment. I guess you could maybe make an argument for Raheem Sterling um, based off of his goal production. But there are moments in the game where it just seems like Raheem Sterling is never going to score a goal for the rest of his life. And... Uh, Palmer's always always just looks so calm and collected on the ball. Um, I do think, and maybe this is a conversation to say for another day, and you guys can have me back on when Nkuku gets healthy, but I think Poch has a big challenge on his hand finding Palmer's role when Nkuku does come back or finding Nkuku's role. Um, look, the bottom line is Chris, Christo is the man that we signed to kind of take the offense, the attack forward this year the man to get the goals going to kind of link everything between, you know, Enzo and Nico Jackson or whoever else is in, in the front. And the, the heartbeat of the attack was supposed to be in Cuckoo. Um, so when he's healthy, I think he probably takes, you know, priority over everyone else in terms of, we want this guy to play his favorite position, maximize his talents. That might clash a little with Palmer. How does that affect Connor Gallagher? I think these are all important questions of how we progress as a club over the next, you know, two, three, four years, where Nkuku and Palmer are going to be really part of two of the main figures of our attack. Um, but for now, he's probably the first name on the team sheet, um, you know, given how some of our midfielders have been a little inconsistent. And of course, you know, we have so many defenders that can play. Um, He's just been he's just been brilliant, and you could tell in the first half. You know, there were times where everyone was a little rushed, not making the right passes, uh, you know, playing backwards, and he still had the wherewithal to you know be composed on the ball and still advance forward. He was you know making Tottenham defenders look silly at times. Just a brilliant signing from the club. Uh, one of the few brilliant signings that we've had uh, over in the new with the new regime. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. He's get is for me. He's getting better and better every single week. I still have uh, my qualms about his his shooting in front of goal, bar the penalties, because he does still look a bit a bit tentative when he takes a strike. Uh, but I'm sure that will come, as he is also very young, as we know. Uh, moving into the second half of this game, this is the most insane Premier League game I think I've ever seen. So there's so much to talk about. We're kind of jumping through everything. If there's something I've missed, you can call me up on it. But if we move into the second half. That first 15 minutes of the second half, well, kind of after after a doggy got sent off and Tottenham was still playing the suicidal high line, that was pretty some pretty dreadful viewing for about 15 minutes before we finally got ahead, wasn't it, Tom? Yeah, uh, there was a lot, lot of um, sort of very verbal outbursts from me of just what are we doing? Like 
they were giving us a clear route to goal. Even with 10 men, they were playing with everyone on the halfway line, with Eric Dyer, their only centre-back on the pitch. So all we needed to do was just hang back a little bit and play those passes with runs from deep, which we just weren't seeming to do. I think Kukurea was the only one who got it right in the first 15 minutes and, of course, made the wrong decision once he got the ball into the box, which is very frustrating. But, yeah, we were very lucky that when Raheem Sterling played that horrific pass, I know there is an argument that Jackson maybe didn't hold his run, which is why he didn't pass it to him, but it still shouldn't have ended up with him kicking it directly at a doggy and he's lucky he has the pace to recover when it bounced off him to get that to win the foul and get him sent off but yeah it was just really interesting decision making I think we sort of saw what the what the issue will be when we have this sort of young team that there's no real composure no one in that maybe in the middle of the park who can talk okay everyone just calm down a little bit let's stop rushing we can just make these decisions we can take our time because there were just so many overhit passes Runs taken far too early. We had a few set pieces where we'd kick the ball straight out of play. Obviously, there was the Jackson chance where he heads it straight at, straight, really tamely at the goal, and it's cleared by Hoybier over the bar. I can't remember if that was just after or just before Dogi got sent off. But yeah, it was just a lot of frustration throughout those minutes. And I mean, we, we, they gave us so many chances. And and then again at the back as well, you can question it as well because we were still giving them a few chances, and that wouldn't I wouldn't give that praise from how Tottenham set up. It was just more of our own stupidity of taking our time far too long on the ball when we've got the two man advantage, and they're still giving away stupid set pieces when we don't need to do it because that is where two of their best three chances when they had nine men came from. So it was just yeah, decision making frustrating, but we got there in the end, thank God. Yeah, I will circle back to the free kick giving away at the end. Uh, I think it was Malagusto and Ogachukwu giving away two of the most stupid fouls I've ever seen. Uh, but Jackson, I'll, I'll do I have something to say? You go first. I, I just, I, I want to, I, I think watching the second half, the most frustrating thing was what you just mentioned here in the defense and the, the not, like, we sh- we, had, we should never have let Spurs have so many opportunities to equalize or, you know, I don't know if they had really many chances to take the lead just because they were sitting, you know, they were doing that high line, but they really weren't attacking off of it too much until they went behind. Um, So that really frustrated me. And I think I agree with Tom's point in the lack of composure and and the youth there. As far as our attacking, I'm a little less harsh on Chelsea just because I think there were ways you could see the team trying to work through it. You know, it, that that high line was there all game, including in the first half. Levi Colwell couldn't get that ball to Raheem Sterling down the left in the first half timed, right? Um, so Colwell comes off. We try and maybe work some things around where it's Reese James now delivering that ball or the midfielders. Um, and then as the second half kind of kept going on, we realized, okay, we need to start making these runs from, from deeper. That's when you saw Kukurea, uh have his moment where, of course, he, he messed up. And then you also saw moments where Vicario was just, you know, 50 meters off of his line. And I think that, and so we saw that and then we started adjusting, okay, we need to play the ball a little bit more down the side and then have that second pass into the middle where we cut it back. So I do think there was, I think, yes, we did not figure it out nearly as quickly as I would have liked. (laughs) We let this game be 1-1 for far too long. But I did see signs of the team trying to work through a fairly easy question. It was a fairly easy question with a fairly easy answer, but they were trying to work through it. And eventually, I, you know, 
in it's a, a game in a game of sport. I don't care if you score three goals in ten minutes or three goals all across eighty. Um, either way, you know we scored three goals against that you know that awful and uh, defensive strategy, and uh, we were able to capitalize. So, yeah, I mean, I would have loved to have scored two at like five minutes after Adogi got sent off. Didn't happen. We still won the game comfortably 4-1, and our uh, very beleaguered striker has himself a hat trick now. So I'm not too frustrated with the attack um, from Monday. It could have definitely been better, but I saw signs of trying to work through problems and us eventually solve those problems. The defense, the defending, and giving Spurs so many opportunities—it was—it was horrible. And I think that was, you know, a sign of some young guys. Gusto, even Palmer, um, gave away a cheap free kick. Uh, that's just big game frustration under, you know, really intense lights of kind of the the only Premier League game going on, and uh, we faltered a bit, but we were still able to to get the job done. Yeah, it is a it is a very young st- squad, and uh, mistakes like that are going to happen. Uh, that's when you need to see your captains, or whoever is the captain on the pitch at the times, as it seems to be getting handed around like, like whatever uh, every five seconds. But they need to step up into that role. Enzo Fernandez, Reese James. I don't think they really took control of the game like you'd want a captain to. Like you know, the captains we've had in the past would have probably stamped control on that game. I mean, if you're talking John Terry and Frank Lampard, that that wouldn't have even been a question. If someone had given away a foul like that, they would have been beaten up in the changing room probably afterwards. Uh, Jackson, I want to talk to you about your namesake, Jackson, because he did get himself a hat trick. It is it is being called the worst hat trick of all time, which I think is a, probably quite a ridiculous statement because uh, a hat trick's a hat trick, no matter how you get it. Uh, Harlan scores a hat trick like that every week, and no one seems to bat an eye. Um, but he did get a hat trick. It wasn't the best hat trick. We won't. We, there weren't good goals. The last goal was probably the only one that took a little bit of a little bit of ingenuity. Uh, but what have you made to him as start Chelsea? And do you think this is maybe a turning point? I mean, I definitely don't, but I don't know what you think. I don't know. I don't think it's a turning point. Um, I, I, you know, I, I hope that it can be a confidence booster, but we've already seen him have games where he's, you know, scored a goal and looked different and played well, and it just hasn't re- resulted in sustained success. Um, I'm very interested to see what, the lineup looks like against Manchester City. Um, you want to talk, you know, against Arsenal, we played um, a false nine, whatever, Palmer and Gallagher as our two furthest forward, whatever formation you want to call it. Well, City is as close as it gets to Arsenal in the league, or maybe Arsenal is as close as it gets to City in the league. Uh, I think the smart thing to do tactically is to go back to that formation against Man City. Uh, what does that? What message does that send to Jackson? You just came off a hat trick away to Spurs, and you're on the bench. Uh, so I think I think Poch is going to play the striker, even though that might not be the best tactical approach, just to try and give, keep the confidence going and see if maybe he can nick another goal. I don't know. I'm I'm still optimistic. It's only been a couple months. He's so young. Um, I think you know. In I keep coming back to Nkuku. I'm just. I need to see that man take the field in a Chelsea shirt before I jump to too many conclusions about this entire roster makeup because of just how big of a piece he was supposed to be for us. Maybe he can create some better link up with him or maybe Nkuku becomes a, you know, kind of that false nine striker and Jackson goes to the bench. Um, But no, it it just hasn't been good enough um, yet. 
I still think there's time to time to turn it around, but it sure seems like we're going to go after a striker in January. So really, there's only two months for him to turn it around if he wants to be our starting number nine the rest of the way. I mean, a Premier League hat trick before Marcus Rashford, before Bakayo Saka, <laughs> before Gabriel Martinelli. You know, it's not bad on your resume, is it? <laughs> uh, no, I mean, he he converted three chances that he. We, he easily could not have converted any of those given his, you know our track record over the past couple of years. So, yeah, I mean, he did also miss a couple of sitters, but if you're getting three, it doesn't it doesn't matter, I guess. We can't only talk about the positives in this game. I know it was four one. I know there's a, a lot to be a lot to be thankful for uh, after winning finally against the top six club. But Tom, uh, a couple of players I want to talk to you about who I don't think really had the best games that we've seen from them so far. One of them who's maybe struggled a bit in recent weeks, Enzo Fernandez, not looking too too dominant in that midfield as we've come to expect over recent weeks. And then the other one, a substitute who, I mean, I've been very critical of, Mikhailo Mudrik. I mean, Mudrik's cameo was absolutely dreadful and there's no getting around that. Uh, but you can talk about Enzo first and then maybe touch on Mudrik. Yeah, with with Enzo, it was certainly a game where where if we do get this sort of result, you would expect if you didn't watch the game that he would play a an important part in it. But he was very very much a backseat sort of player in this game. He didn't really have any moments where he was massive. I don't know how much the tackle from Romero affected him during the game. I know he got taken off in around the sixtieth minute, so he did obviously come out after half time after getting knocked by that foul. So I don't think it affected him too much, but it has been, it's not just a one-off thing. It has been the last two sort of appearances. I know he obviously didn't play the Brentford games. He was back in Argentina, but yeah, the, the game against Blackburn as well, the minutes he played there, he wasn't too effective there either, which is a little bit concerning because uh, it did seem like a few games ago, him and Caicedo were forming this really good link, really good partnership where they were able to complement each other. But yeah, he has sort of fallen off the boil a little bit, but hopefully he will refine that form and, and, I mean, we're getting to a stage, well, we had a stage for so long where he was undroppable, whether that's still the case. And we maybe we might switch it up. I know we've got other players in midfield to come back and obviously players that we've spoken about going forward to change that formation. So maybe he doesn't keep his place. But I imagine there will just be a switch where he will just refine that form again. So hopefully we'll wait and see with that. And then with Mudrick, yeah, I think it is fair to say that he didn't have the best of games when he came on. He obviously blazed that cross over the bar. There's a couple of moments where he did just... Didn't beat his man when he took them on, but as horrible Mudrick cameos go, there were still a couple of nice moments. I will give him that. He should have got an assist right at the end. It was a great run. He beat the man. He got right to the byline. Jackson just decided to smash it over the bar, which is a bit annoying. And he'd already he scored. He'd already scored well. three, mate. He'd already scored three. Oh, he didn't yeah, score more. Yeah, to be fair, I would have liked Mudrick to take the shot on from where he was. I will admit, but yeah, no, he cut it back and instead. And then, of course, when Jackson did score his third, he was there ready for an assist if Jackson made the. The decision to pass, but Vicario clearly decided to mark Mudrick more than actually stop Jackson from going for goal. So that was, yeah, an interesting, interesting game. But it's always interesting with Mudrick because I don't think I've ever seen him, apart from the Liverpool game, but the very start, come off the bench and be effective. I think his best games have been when he's been in from the start, and we've seen he's very much a consistency player. So obviously, coming back from another knock. If he's, it'd be another one where he might take a bit of time to get going. So it'd be interesting to see if he plays a role on Saturday against City or whether it'll be something similar to how we started against Tottenham. It'll be interesting to see. But yeah, it's two players who hopefully they will just, once they get playing and going again, they will be, they will be perfectly fine for us. Well, we will talk about how the, the team will line up against Man City, but we can't not talk about the biggest news probably in WSL last five years history, uh, maybe even 10 years, I don't know. 
Uh, Emma Hayes will be leaving Chelsea Women at the end of the season. Uh, mixed reports about why that is. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. We've had a little bit of a conversation about it. Uh, but nonetheless, she will be leaving at the end of the season. Six WSL trophies, five FA Cups, and I believe two League Cups. Uh, not sure if they're all at Chelsea. I know she had a brief stint at Arsenal before. Uh, but she has obviously been a powerhouse in English football. Probably one of the greatest managers in English football history. Uh, Sir Alex Ferguson, obviously, on top. But if you're talking about trophies won in a domestic league, Emma Hayes is not far from the top of that list. Uh, she's had a, such an impact on the Chelsea women's team that she's completely transformed them. And hopefully, in this last season that she's having, she can push them onto one more WSL trophy and maybe even a Champions League. That would be nice for her to sign off with that. But Jackson, I'll go to you because it, it is, I don't know if it's confirmed yet, but she's pretty likely going to be the new uh, US women's national team manager. Are you excited for that? Or are you sad that she's leaving Chelsea? Uh, I think I'm, I, I think I'm more excited. Um, just because she's been at Chelsea for so long. Uh, it, it does, you know, it does feel like maybe it's time for something new. I think, um, I know Chelsea fans probably don't agree with me, but you know, she's been there for so long. She's accomplished so much. The only thing off of her CV is a, you know, European champions league. And when you're going against this Barcelona team or, you know, the old, uh, Leon teams of, of yesteryear in the women's game. Uh, that's not an easy task to win the champions league. Um, and I think the, the WSL is, you know, is it'll, it's coming for a WSL team. I think the money in that investment in that, you know, in the league and for all the teams, it's a, it's a matter of time before a, uh, a club wins a champions league like that. But it's not a. It's not every day where the U.S. women's national team job is open. I was. I think it is the biggest women's football job in the world. And uh, you know, she has said she's got some pretty heavy American ties. Um, and you know, kind of starting her career here. Um, and and learning. You know, kind of owning her craft here before going back to England. So, I, I understand her decision, and I think it's one that. I actually like the fact that she that Chelsea announced it during the season. It gives fans the opportunity to to come and support and sing her name, and you know, you know, little you know daughters and, and sons can go and realize like this is the last time I'm going to get to see Emma Hayes there and kind of uh, cherish those moments. And I think uh, maybe it'll provide a little extra motivation for the team uh, to give her a quality send off year, but. I don't. I don't think whatever the reasons are um, that she left. I do think you. It's fair to criticize the Chelsea leadership that you let the best manager in women's football leave while she was there, and you were not able to secure a contract. However, I think it's. I think it's. While I think it's fair to criticize the Chelsea leadership, I also don't know how much they really could have done. It seems like this is a move that she's always had her eye on, and now given the U.S.'s struggles at the last World Cup, their need for a coach and their need really to kind of overhaul the system in a way that Emma did at Chelsea to create a new culture, a winning culture, uh, feels like the perfect perfect match from a U.S. women's national team perspective. Uh, it just sucks that it's uh, it's coming at the, the expense of Chelsea. It definitely does suck. I mean, you're right. It could have a good boost on the rest of this season. and Hopefully it does have a good boost and we... We can secure WSL number seven and Champions League number one. I think that would be her main goal before she before she leaves Europe. But Tom, 
What kind of impact do you think this is going to have on the Chelsea women's team going forward? I mean, such a dominant force in English women's football, uh, the dominant force, really. Uh, and as Jackson said, you're losing the best manager in women's football history. It's going to have definitely an impact on the players, but what kind of impact is going to have on the squad as a whole? Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting rest of the season. I know it, was, it came as sort of like the announcement itself came as a great surprise of when it came. Obviously, directly after an 8 0 victory, after only about five games we've had this season, which, but it was also one that maybe that the players knew was going to come in the next year or so. Obviously, Emma Hayes' health problems of last season, how much she speaks about how much she wants to spend more time with her son, which becoming an international manager will allow her to do. She'll have a lot more time, obviously not working week in, week out, playing league games. So there'll be that aspect of it. But yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how the squad react to this. Because yeah, like Jackson said, it could be a great boost to have them want to fight really hard to get her that first Champions League and obviously to send her off with the, the best sort of trophy haul that we could get. But yeah, I mean, a lot of the players will be here when she goes and we still definitely have by far the best squad in the league. So it will be an interesting decision to who will come in and replace her. There's not many massive names that it could be, whether it's someone promoted from within or whether Casey Stoney comes back from America. She obviously has her history with, with Chelsea, so that'll be someone who could take the job. But obviously they're so far away from now that that won't be something that will be talked about in depth for a long time. So I am hoping, I know that a lot of the Chelsea fan, the Chelsea women's fan base in particular is very sad at the moment. They're sort of mourning like this massive loss that it's going to feel like. So they're just sort of trying to, Sort of divulge the news, but I reckon once it sets settles in over the next few weeks, and if we de- carry on with some decent form on the pitch, then it will just be a happy send off for the next few months. And I, I do imagine that the squad are just going to keep up their unbelievably high standards, and will hopefully win as much as they possibly can. Yeah, because I mean, it has already been a fantastic start to the season uh, for Chelsea women, as you mentioned, an eight 0 victory, kind of what you expect uh, with an MAH side, and hopefully that is something that can tr- transition over to whoever is the next manager. Uh, for long into the future. Obviously, there are a few players whose contracts are also coming towards the end. Sam Kerr, uh, Fran Kirby, their contracts, I think they've got a year maybe left on their contracts. So I don't know whether there's going to be renewals there. It's a, definitely a changing time uh, for the Chelsea women's team. But let's look ahead. Oh, go I, think on, go on, Jackson. In, I think we need to bring in the stabilizing force interim manager, Frank Lampard. For a <laughs> oh, good job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 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 I don't know why. I mean. <laughs> maybe noises to that one. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe Jackson. No, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe women's football. He, he can, he can become the dominant force of women's football rather than his uh, slightly less timid time as a as a men's manager. Uh, but let's look ahead to the weekend. Uh, Manchester City, obviously, the big game for the Chelsea men's team. The big game of the weekend, and you know what. I'm more confident about playing Man City than I would be about playing Everton. Uh, that's how we're kind of set up to play at the moment. That's how we've been performing in recent weeks. I'm not saying we're going to beat Man City. They're obviously the best team in the Premier League. Um, but it's going to be an interesting game. Jackson, how do you expect us to line up? I know you briefly touched on it. Uh, will we play a striker up top? Who knows? Will it be a, a kind of three-winger formation? Uh, what do you think Poch is cooking up? <laughs> Um, I think it's going to be the exact same lineup that's, that we played against Spurs, um, except I would not be surprised if Kukurea starts at left back um, instead of Colwell. Uh, I think I think Levi has been all in all good this year, but he um, struggled against Tottenham 
I think Kukure is in, in good form. Um, he still scares the living daylights out of me. Just his presence on the pitch, I do not trust in any way. But he was good against Spurs. Um, and I think when I think I think it's important to have someone with a little bit more speed, aggression, and the ability. I think Levi doesn't want to go close down attacking wingers on the touchline. I think he would rather them come to him. And I think against Man City, you can't give those guys that that kind of space. You have to go and be aggressive against the likes of, you know, Doku and whoever is whoever is playing on that right wing. So um, I would love to see Levi get a run at center back. Um, however, I don't think you can justifiably drop the Sassy or Silva right now. Um, God, I'd love to see Badia Shield too. I feel like the best center back combination that we could put out is Badia Shield and Cole Will, but neither of those guys are starters right now, and it's hard to justify playing them as a pairing. So, um, yeah, I say same lineup, um, maybe Kukureya for Cole Will. Um, I wouldn't be upset either way, but I do think Jackson plays just based off you have to try and come you can turn the hat trick into some serious form. Do you know why Colwell doesn't want to press down wingers on the touchline? Because he's actually a centre-back and not a left-back. So yeah. the fact he's been playing left-back all season is just pretty moronic. And we saw it against Tottenham with the fact that he's backing off, backing off. If that's Cucurella, he dives into a tackle. Okay, maybe he gets beaten because it is Cucurella. Uh, but at least he actually attempts to make the tackle rather than backs off like a centre-back would. Uh, I'm in complete agreement. There's no way that Colwell should be starting at left-back. If he starts at left-back against Doku... Uh, it's going to be eight nil. It's going to be twenty five nil. It's it's going to be thirty five nil. Cucurella is a is a much better option at left back. Even though he's rash, even though we know he's capable of making a mistake or ten mistakes, I'd rather have an actual left back against a winger than a centre back shoved out of left back. And you you mentioned Desassi and Thiago Silva. I think that Cole's a better centre back than both of them at the moment. Uh, obviously, Thiago Silva I won in the lineup anyway, just because he's got that experience and also he was fantastic against Spurs. Um, but Colwell, I think, can can displace Disassi uh, because, in my opinion, he's a better centre back and deserves a run of games at the centre back position. Uh, unless you disagree, I, I, I think I think Disassi. I think on the whole, this season Disassi's been better than Thiago Silva. On the whole, I think Silva has shown his age at times. Um, he's you know against City it's a little bit different because they they possess the ball so much like we're not really going to see too many moments where Silva like needs to be sprinting backwards trying to beat a counterattack so in this game against City I would agree with you I would go Silva over to Sassy but like the next time we play a Brentford or you know a team that's going to launch balls over the top and and test our back line um, in that sort of way I would love to see DeSassi and Cole Will or Badia Shiel and Cole Will and just Poch show some faith in those young guys because look the bottom line is Silva is what 38 years old I mean or 39 like it's we have to start trying to in, to integrate new center backs into the starting lineup and push him out because I mean it's a minor miracle he's even playing up to this standard at his age no I completely I completely agree it should there should be a transition this this season. I mean, we always say Thiago Silva is beginning to show his age, but then he also just puts on a string of 10 out of 10 performances and you're like, oh, well, how's that happened then? 
but for Man City, I know I know you just said that, but he, he definitely has to start for me just because of the the lack of experience we have in the in the rest of the squad as a whole. Uh, we can't be having an entire squad under the age of twenty two, uh, which is almost what it would be apart from Sterling if if, if um, uh, Thiago Silva didn't start. Tom, Tom, what's your take on the centre back uh, slash left back situation and how Poch has set up this season? How you think he should go forward into this Man City game? Yeah, I I certainly would be having Thiago Silva start this game. I think there were moments in the Tottenham game where he showed he is the senior brain on the pitch. I think it was when we were celebrating after the penalty and the entire squad want to go and shush the Spurs fans. And it took Thiago (laughs) Silva to run over to them all to drag them away. Because it's like, come on, it's 1-1. We've got a game to win here. There's just yeah, little things like that which he adds to us. And there were a lot of moments where he is still doing what he has done since he joined the club. He's anticipating players around him. There was one moment where they were able to it was Son and someone else coming through and he would, another centre-back may just step straight up to Son and completely ignore the other other guy next to him who De Sassi is marking, but instead he cuts out the pass and is able to push us onto the front foot again. So yeah, he definitely would be one I'd want to start in the City game. And then I'd quite like to see Badia Shiele next to, next to him for this one. I think De Sassi, although he has had some very good games, I think the last two games he has been pretty poor. I mean, he was at fault for the Brentford goal, the opener. He should be doing a lot better attacking a, a ball over the top like that, especially for a man of his size. And then there were moments in the Spurs game where he just dawdles on the ball for far too long, especially in the six-yard box where he's taking three, four seconds to deal with it, make a pass, clear it. And nearly three or four times he nearly got caught out. And we were lucky to get away with that. So it's just little things like that which irk me, whereas Badia Shield looked, I know it was against Blackburn, obviously a team in the league below, but looked in decent, very decent nick for someone who's missed football since May. And that was his first start. So if he's fitting up to the challenge, that would be my centre-back pairing. And then I'd go Kukurea at left-back, because like you both said, if it's if it's Colwell dealing with Doku, I'd have no hope in hell. I mean, pre-game against Spurs, I was quite happy to see Colwell against Kulisevsky because of Kulisevsky's skies and things like that. But when you obviously you see the first attack and he's backing off and not not going after him, then yeah, that's doesn't bode well. So I'd yeah, much much rather have Kukurea out there for this one than, than have Levi Colwell. And then the rest of the team, I think, will be very similar to the Spurs side, as Jackson said. I think I would much rather us go attacking as we did against Arsenal, but it will be interesting if Poch is willing to drop a strike who has just scored a hat-trick five days later against Man City. Yeah, I mean, Doku is like Kulisevsky on crack. Uh, if you think Kulisevsky, Kulisevsky does, like to, does like a dribble, uh, it does like to be slightly direct, but Doku is just like that times 10. And I mean, we saw his performance against, uh, was it Bournemouth, whoever they were playing last week? I think he had what, four yeah. assists and a goal. Uh, so if he can do that against Bournemouth, what can he do against us? <laughs> and to, to, be fair, to be fair to Kukurea as well, when we played Arsenal, he did keep Saka very, very quiet. So that would be obviously someone a bit more similar to Doku than Kulusevski is. So if he could do that again, then yeah, he's the perfect person to start this game. Exactly. One more thing to touch on, I think, from from my perspective, uh, is is the midfield three. I know, I know we are probably going to go with uh, Gallagher, Caicedo and Enzo. Uh, pairing in that middle of the park, but we do have Lavia coming back. We do have they're not going to be back for the City game, I don't think, but they will be in the future. Lavia uh, and Nkunku coming back, and they probably will be back in and around after the international break. Uh, how do you see our midfield changing under with those three coming in? I know Nkunku playing slightly further forward, but if he's going to be playing behind the striker, you'd imagine maybe Gallagher will drop out. But for me, Gallagher has actually been the best of the midfield three over the last couple of weeks. I mean, against Spurs, I thought. He he was the reason we scored that second goal. His press on on one of their defenders uh, charging so far up the pitch, they give the ball away, and we we actually get the, get the breakthrough there. Or no, win the penalty, win the penalty there. Um, 
So it's it's difficult for me to, if I'm Potts, to drop Gallagher just because of how brilliant he has been and what he does offer that is different from Caicedo and Enzo. Uh, but also we know how good Caicedo and Enzo are. Uh, so Jackson, I'll go to you on on the midfield on the midfield three situation. Assuming it's going to be the same for Man City, how do you think you see that developing as we go on? Well, for now, I think it's you 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 don't drop those three until you see what the other replacements can provide. Um, in Cuckoo, I don't think really. I think in Cuckoo, if he is going to drop Gallagher, then it's going to be Cole Palmer moving back and not in Cuckoo taking up that position, which uh, gives me a little bit more optimism in that formation because I think Cole Palmer. I think Cole Palmer is not as good as Gallagher at pressing, but is sneaky, like almost as good. He's learned from Guardiola and the Man City press all those years. And he's, he doesn't run as much as Connor, but he is, I think, more intelligent in the way he presses and like where he kind of attacks defenders and forces them to play the ball to where the Chelsea press is, is next best suited to defend. So, um, Look, I've said this to you guys in private. I think that the, the the maximum, the best version of this Chelsea squad, if it if it is going to realize its potential and compete in the Premier League with these players, I don't think Connor Gallagher is good enough to be a week in and week out everyday starter. I think he's a terrific squad player and has a huge role to play, um, but. I like we're just not scoring enough goals guys and I know Gallagher has some goals in him but it's not like we're benching him for you know bad players when Nkuku comes back you know he's if he loses his spot to Nkuku and Cole Palmer I think that's a good thing overall for the Chelsea um landscape moving forward um but those guys Nkuku has to prove it before I think right now you start that three um Enzo has been poor the past couple games, but you know he just had a kid. He had the international break coming out. Like I'm very unconcerned about Enzo Fernandez. Um, the Spurs game it could have been fixed by just you know, hey, being a little quicker on the ball. I think he maybe got lulled into a false sense of security playing against ten nine men, but Tottenham still came after us and when our midfield had possession in some dangerous spots. So. Um, I think those. I think you roll with those three until someone else proves otherwise that they deserve a spot starting. But I do think for Chelsea to maximize its talent, uh, Gallagher has to, you know, go to the bench and um, for the biggest of games. But maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, he's been so good. He's been really good pressing, especially against the best teams. It seems like he turns in his better performances against the likes of Arsenal and Spurs. Um, so maybe you keep him in for those games. And then when we are playing against teams that are sitting in a lower block, you maybe take him out and, and ride in, in Cuckoo Cole Palmer partnership kind of in the middle of that midfield attack area. But I don't know. It's a tough decision because he's played so well this year. Yeah. Just quickly, Tom, you got anything to add, add on that uh, regarding the midfield situation? Yeah, I think the only thing I'll say, I think it's going to take a little bit of trial and error when the other players come back, because there's going to be so many options for Potts to try out. Of course, we're going to have a lot of fixtures to play through December and a lot of fixtures on top of each other as well. There'll be games sort of every four days for a good three or four weeks. So that'll be a good opportunity to mix some players around and hopefully find 
uh, uh, well, there'll be players who will play up to the standard and and sort of cement themselves into the team. And then obviously when we go into the new year, we'll have some FA Cup games to play as well, which will give more opportunity to other players. So, yeah, I think that for now it is, yeah, just stick with the three we have. And then once once the other players do get their, the chances for minutes, if they are performing much to a much higher standard than those who are on the pitch, then yeah, they'll they'll take the spots off of those players. So it will be an interesting few weeks as these players do slowly come back from injury. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting time as it always is at Chelsea. Never a dull week at Chelsea Football Club, even if your team is winning. Even if both teams are winning, actually, your manager, for one of them, decides she doesn't want to be your manager anymore. So that's good. <laughs> Never a dull week. But this has been the Blue Tomorrow podcast. Thank you, Jackson, for joining us from America. I don't know if you're going to go back to sleep now or if you're you're up for the day. Uh, but. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, and thank you to Tom, of course. Uh, and you know what? Thank you to myself. This has been the Blue Tomorrow <laughs> podcast. Uh, we will see you later and bye-bye.